Welcome to the Mindfulness of Singing, and I'm Denise, your sassy, spunky scientist. And I'm Tony, your bubbly, big-hearted flower child. Our podcast features practical tips and tools for a journey of transformation using the healing power of your voice. Each podcast, we will delve into the mind, body, and spirit connection by interviewing inspirational guests, sharing personal stories, and discussing the most recent scientific research. Tune in and join our community of mindful singers. Hey, Tony. Hi. I'm so excited about our guest today because we just met him. This is podcast marathon day Mm -hmm. and we were on his live podcast and what a warm, uh, lovely, brilliant man. I'm very inspired and uh, that was my first chance to be somebody's guest and Uh, He certainly made us feel very, very welcome. So I'm delighted that we get to um, pick his brain now. And let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a very established uh, conductor. He is the artistic director and principal conductor with the Mid-Atlantic Artistic Productions, with whom he made his Carnegie Hall debut. He conducts a large choral summer program, very busy uh, podcasting during COVID. Oh, my, has he ever been busy interviewing. Sometimes he does two or three a day. I mean, he's, and he's involved his family, his teenagers in the process. I think it's amazing. It is really cool. Really cool. He's the director of choral activities at Seton Hall University. And they have done between that and his other choral groups, he's done over 85 virtual concerts during this. I'm exhausted thinking about it. Yeah. And uh, he's also a talented singer. Again, comes from a background as a singer, as a conductor as well, which is a wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. advantage. And Absolutely. Uh, so I think we're going to have a great time again. We, we, we already know. Absolutely. Yes. I, I think that our listeners will love him. And, and I hope that our professional singers will really listen to his advice. Yes. Because we have some really good questions to ask him as to what our singers should uh, be prepared for, for auditions, what they should be thinking about when they're, you know, in a professional situation. And if you're young and trying to figure all of that out, this is some really, really good sage advice. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I, Inside I, scoop I from a professional conductor. So We're going to ask him all the questions. So, all right, that's great. Let's, Let's bring, bring him, him on. on. <laughs> I guess you Hi, Jason Tram. We're so happy to have you here from Music Matters, another podcast. Such a pleasure to to, to engage with the podcast community and musicians are out there. Such great things to say and such wonderful platforms. And it's always great to meet people doing wonderful work. Oh, thank Thank you. you. And what a special day for us to first be on your podcast and now to have you on ours. This is a first for us and... So thank you. Thank it's you. A podcast marathon. It is. <laughs> it really is. In so many ways. I between hours I drove home, you know. I got to get to the next podcast. Anyway, it's kind of crazy day. But uh so tell us about yourself. Tell us um what you do in the music world and and um and I know Tony has probably written down lots and lots of things and how you got to Music Matters. How you got to that point? 
Absolutely. I'll, I'll start with my, my, a little bit about my, my artistic journey. Um, I started as a boy soprano uh, soloist in church. Um, I grew up in a Lutheran church and in, in Nyack, New York, in suburban, right outside of New York City. And I've been in this neck of the woods most of my adult life, back and forth, somewhere around the suburbs. And, um, you know, I was always singing. I, I was one of those people, you know, when you know you're a singer, you just always have that, that passion to sing and make music. And I was the soloist in my church at a young age, and I was a boy soprano. I get up there and I would sing whatever they asked me to sing, and I would just sing my heart out. I had three older brothers and my parents who were always supported me. They didn't really understand it, but they always supported me. And, um, you know, not, not, my parents weren't musicians. My mom played the piano in church, but she wasn't a professional musician. And my father worked in a power plant. But they supported me all along the journey, along the way, as I continued my career. Um, I studied music. I did an undergraduate degree in music education at the Crane School of Music, and I loved it there. And, um, and I went into teaching. I taught in public schools for six years. And um, I taught first one year in middle school, which was a, a wild, crazy challenge. And I did five years of high school, which I loved in New Jersey. And um, and I always knew, like I, I was, a, I wanted to be a performer. I was performing at night. I was singing with professional choirs. I was singing Mario roles with local opera companies in New York City and uh, in the area. But um, there was something, was something missing for me. So when I was doing my master's degree at the Hart School of Music and Music Education, I took some lessons with Ed Bolkovac, who uh, took me aside and he said, you know, listen, you'd be a fantastic conductor. Now, while I was working with conductors, I never really thought about the idea of becoming a conductor. And it just dawned on me. And I said, okay, so, you know, his inspiration, I changed everything. I went from being a singer to converting to, to looking at the conductors I was working with professionally and, and becoming a scientist and analyzing what worked, what didn't work, taking notes. And that summer, I founded my first orchestra and choral society. Um, I'm a go-getter. I went out there. I raised the money. I raised $15,000. And I put together a professional orchestra. And I, I auditioned a choir from the community. I was a high school teacher. and People knew me. So um, I had people support me all along the way. And it was this wild, crazy experiment. That was my first time in front of a professional ensemble. I conducted it from memory. I had all that time to prepare. So it was really exciting. I had a couple singers from the Met solo on that concert. And I was very fortunate to have really good friends that I met performing. And um, you know, it just clicked for me. So all, all of a sudden, I was a good singer. But I was really good at conducting. It just worked for me. Something in it, you know, I, I, there was a barrier in my singing that wasn't there in my conducting. All of a sudden, it made sense. And mm -hmm. um, I did that festival for 10 years. Um, uh, on my second festival, I got, uh, I got accepted to do my doctorate in conducting at Rutgers University on a full scholarship. And I took that, that position and I left my tenure job at the high school and never looked back. Um, I was um, conducting, in, I did three festivals in Europe. I worked in Romania. I've, um, I got an agent as a conductor. And while I was in my doctoral studies, I was hired as the chorus master of the New Jersey State Opera under Alfredo Solopini, which was an incredible opportunity for me to be around one of the greatest Verismo conductors who had worked with all the famous singers. He gave Placido Domingo his de debut in five roles, the New Jersey State Opera. And um, I just got to sit there and just absorb all these great artists. And um, I was like a kid in a candy store. Every day I would come home like, this is the most exciting thing ever. And um, Maestro Silipini took me under his wing. Um, he would bring me over for dinner. He had my family over. He just really was so nice to me. I can't thank him enough. And um, I finished my doctorate and um, I decided what, 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 what do I want to do when I grow up? And um, I decided to stay in the New York area. I turned down two university offers and I stayed in New York City. And um, I wanted to pursue the opera thing. And um, I did that for 
uh, you know, a year, Maestro Solipini passed away. And then I was, um, I, I was appointed the music director of the New Jersey State Opera in 2008, which I did for seven years. And um, I got to conduct a lot of operas. I got an, I had an agent. I did a lot of guest conducting. And um, I was very fortunate to work with so many great artists. I did a, a national broadcast of Verdi's Requiem and um, many other projects. And uh, I've been incredibly blessed. Um, uh, the, one of the, some of the challenges of being a professional artist, the, uh, the, the economic crash of 2009 destroyed a lot of the arts. And that was one of the companies that, uh, that was incredibly impacted. Um, but um, I was lucky enough to offer, offer a university position and um, I took a job at Seton Hall University as the director of choral activities where I've been since 2011. And um, I've, I missed the teaching part of my life. The performing was wonderful. And I got to work with some very fine artists and um, like luminaries in the, in the performing world, but that I missed the teaching desperately. And now that I got to do the teaching again, now I get to do both. So I'm pre-COVID, I was, I was doing what I loved. I was traveling, guest conducting, you know, teaching college and uh, just mixing it all up there. And I kind of thrive on diversity. So um, yeah, that's a, a quick snapshot pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah. Seton Hall, that's where you are now? Go Pirates. Yeah, that's in South Orange, New Jersey. And um, Wow, yeah. yeah. You catch the basketball games? I do. I take my kids too. We love them. Uh, we, we had a couple great years there and um, it's a good team and um, I've had a few of the uh, few of the uh, basketball players in my some of my my survey classes it's been a blast yeah I'd say yeah, I'd cool. say quite quite a, a tra tradition of good basketball there yeah <laughs> don't ask me how I know I it's yeah long story anyway so tell us how um, you ended up doing a podcast as a conductor yeah, I, the, 2019, I just finished up a um, some really big comedy. I did an opera tour in Florida, South Carolina, uh, in West Virginia. I was doing Butterfly all over the place, and which was typical. But I usually do a, I did a winter tour. And I came back and I did a concert in New York City with Met Stars, and it was a big opera gala. And then all of a sudden, bang, COVID hits things start dropping like flies and uh, all of the um, all of the you know, Broadway closed the Met closed it was it was like unbelievable and um, all of my conducting stopped of course just like everyone did and um, you know my summer's worth of guest conducting and uh, my, my summer festival everything was put on hold so I went through the, uh, as I found out my podcast after that, we all went through this kind of grieving process in our own way. We kind of processed this in a different way. I went through it, um, I, I'm surrounded by my children. So we had a lot to do here. I learned how to play the bass guitar because we have a drummer. My son's a drummer, my other son's a jazz guitar player. So I said, we have this thing sitting here. No one plays it, so why don't I just figure it out? So I started playing the bass guitar and that was fun. And I did a lot of yard work in the backyard and raked all the leaves that had been way neglected. and. Um, it's only so much of that you can do because now I'm like thinking, now what? I've got to do something. <laughs> so, um, so uh, I said I miss my colleagues. So this is my chance to keep in touch with my colleagues and to talk about what they're doing. For the conductors among us, it was like, how are you meeting the needs of your communities? Because I've got to do the same. I've got to do virtual choir projects. Uh, we can't meet in person, so we should have Zoom rehearsals. How can I maximize the Zoom rehearsal experience? What's possible? What's not possible? So it was really a chance to just reconnect with my artistic colleagues. And, um, and then it kind of evolved as I got a little better at it to um, what innovations and self-discoveries have these creative people made during this period? 
and it's been vast. I mean, just speaking to you and to uh, to Tony, it's been incredible to watch what people have done and how they've um, they've continued to uh, be creative, even at a time when our primary method of communication has been changed. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, so let's talk about after COVID goes away and you have, you know, you're back to that. Let's pretend for a while that we're, we're back to normal, right? Whatever normal is going to be for us, but we're, we're back to some semblance of that. And, you know, this is mindfulness of singing. What are some things like, tell us five things that you think every singer should be aware of when they're going to come and audition or work with a conductor. Uh, the first is to be yourself, to find out who you are and what you bring, because um, whether you get the job or not, it really is irrelevant, because a lot of the times when I've sat on that side of the table, uh, I know that you, you may not know that um, we've already considered a, another, like a soprano has been already picked or a tenor has been picked. And if you're a tenor and you've just auditioned, you, you may not know that you may be considered for a job down the road. You just don't know. You never know because you don't know what, what the parameters are that you have no control over. So it's just to be yourself, be ready as an artist, you know, be, be a hundred percent prepared, know your craft, obviously, but then you, in order to get the, get the work, you have to be yourself and comfortable with yourself, be a good colleague. That's, that is, I tell my students, if I'm going to write a book someday, it's going to say, be nice. That's the name of my book. <laughs> if you're not nice and you're not a good colleague, we all know each other. It's amazing how small the world of musicians is. Yeah. Um, all the conductors, we talk to each other. Uh, I can't tell you how many times my, my colleagues have called and said, hey, have you worked with so-and-so? We saw that so-and-so just did something for you down somewhere. And you say, oh, what a great experience. This person was such a great colleague. You know, it, it's, um, it's so important to, um, to be kind to each other, to be nice, because we know how hard the job is before we even start. It's such a challenge. And um, being that right colleague, makes it easier for everybody. Um, yeah. I don't know what number, maybe two or three. I think you're at three. Okay, okay, good. My, my, my mind is, uh, is still tracking. What else would I say to singers? I love singers. I am a singer. I still sing in church once in a while, I'll get in there. And, you know, I, I always say, I don't want to rate myself by, by the, my conductor self. I just want to go and sing. And I, I go to a small church and, um, you know, I, uh, and I just like to get up there and sing on a song. You know, I'd like to like, like to tell my story. I'm a, I'm a storyteller. When I conduct, I love to tell stories. I have to review the music incessantly. I have to, I have to spend hours researching it every night until I can get up there and have a point of view is always to know, um, always to, to, to tell this, your story. Don't, don't repeat what you've heard other people say. That's not interesting. And it's not going to be organic. It's got to be unique. It's got to be you. And everyone's got something new and everyone's got something interesting and that's valid. And um, that's what makes art so, uh, that's what makes art music so powerful is that we have centuries of tradition and each generation puts their stamp on it. It's not that it was the same then it is now. I know we're, we're, we're fascinated by the historically informed performance practice, but you know, think about Bach. If we, if we did everything strictly per, uh, performance practice, we'd have no female singers in Bach. That's not a good thing, right? <laughs> that right. music's for everybody, right? And that, that there's validity that we all have something to say and that, um, you know, find that way to express what you have to say and never let anyone tell you that it's not possible. Um, 
you'll always have so many voices in your journeys. You're going to hear so many voices. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's a guru. Everyone knows everything. And, you know, I used to take everything I heard when I was young, like, that's it. That's from on high. That's the voice of Zeus has given me that, that information. But really, it's got to come and be processed through you. And sometimes it's not all going to be helpful. So you need a team of people. What, what, I'm, what I see now in my old age is um, when I'm looking at these things is that, um, is that the really successful people I, I, I work with have teams of people behind them. They've got their voice teacher, they have their voice coaches, they have, um, you know, conductors they trust. I mean, we all work together and the, the job is to, is to it, takes a, it takes a whole village because singers can't hear themselves. You need people on the outside you can trust who, who have your best interests in mind is to surround yourself with those positive people, find people who are gonna, who are gonna help your journey, who, you know, that you can trust, very, very important. And to have a support system. In, in the career, in the vocal performance art, you need to have a support system. It's just, um, it's, a, it's a difficult field under the best of circumstances. So, and uh, I can tell you what my maestro told me, which has always stuck in my mind. I think he's, he was such a clever man and I, I had a wonderful sense of humor. And he said, Jason, if you could see yourself doing anything else, do that. Because if you, unless you love this, and I didn't really get it then because I was young and I was, I'm going to do this. That's all I ever know is music. But now that I'm, I'm my age at 46, I think back and I say, boy, he was right. If you don't, if you're not all in on making a career and this happen, there's a lot of ways you can make a living that are probably easier than music. I know it's never been easy. I've, I, you know, I've founded opera companies. I've founded orchestras. You know, I've seen them rise. I've seen them fall. I've, I've been there when it's very successful. I've been there through very hard times. Uh, in the first economic collapse, 2009, I lost my house because the opera company went bankrupt. And that was my full-time job. I mean, you have to really believe that this is what you're there for and love it because it's a process. Now, I would never trade the lows, because they've allowed me to contextualize the highs, you know, and there's going to be up ebbs and flows in a career. Sometimes you're busy, sometimes you're not, sometimes you're, you're going to be in great vocal health, sometimes you're not, and you've got to be able to negotiate that. Great advice. All of those are, are great, great tips. You mentioned um, singers can't really hear themselves. And um, you mentioned between podcasts when we were on that you have done, I believe you said 85, is that right? Virtual projects. Yes. We, I, I run um, several, I've got several as conductors tend to do. I've got several affiliations. I've got two choral societies. I've got the Morris Choral Society in New Jersey. And I've got the Taconic Corral in Westchester, New York. And I'm the music director of the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association in the summer months where I direct the music at the historic, this is my 15th season coming up at the historic Great Auditorium, which is a special place for me because um, Caruso sang there, two recitals, um, Gali Curci, Rosa Poncel, Lawrence Tibbet. I mean, go, uh, the opera royalty that have sung there, it's, it's amazing. And I've gotten to do my Verdi Requiem broadcast from there. But my, we have a huge choral community there and um, we couldn't sing last summer and it was devastating. Every year we do a choir festival in July, the second Sunday, and we usually have 700 singers to 1,000 singers in the choir, four or 5,000 in the audience, big, you know, it's really exciting. And that year, zero. So I wasn't going to say we couldn't do music. So I, I experimented, my son's really into the tech stuff, so we experimented with virtual choirs and um, trial and error. We, we started, it, was, it took us a while to get comfortable with it, but 
uh, after I did my first project and then we did another one with my other choral society. And then by the summer, we did weekly virtual choirs with up to 85 singers submitting files from across the world. It was crazy. I mean, I've never worked this hard and we didn't even have a rehearsal. The re we had two rehearsals a week via Zoom, crazy. And, uh, but people were able to sing who otherwise couldn't sing. So, and it made them feel good. And they really got something out of it. And, and I would go to um, me and my organist, Gordon, Dr. Gordon Turk, he's been the organist at the great auditorium for a long time. We'd go to an empty auditorium, 6,500 seats and with my son, turn on the computer, do a full rehearsal. And I'm like, I hope people are getting something out of this, but they came back every week. And that's really how you know, <laughs> if they come back, they probably getting something out of it. So I would try to, you know, I was to, originally I tried to run it like I would do a normal rehearsal and I couldn't, I had to figure out that it's different and what you can do pedagogically is very difficult. But I had a whole summer to figure this out and to kind of tweak it and get better at it. And, um, and in the end, we did, we did a choir festival virtually that got thousands of views. We did five virtual choir projects on that. We did the hymns, we did, we, and my professional quartet sang as well. So we had all this stuff going on. We pulled it off, we did. And then the whole, this past year, two semesters, we've done um, virtual choir projects at my university where they rub rub rubric the performance, they sent in their videos, they had to prepare guide tracks. So, so it's kept us singing, it's kept people singing, it's kept people playing. And, um, and a lot of my colleagues and I look forward to the next chapter where that becomes a memory. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm tired. Would, I'm tired yeah. just by listening to you talk about it. I yeah, that. yeah. Just, so wow. you're, you, I have a question. You're a great person to ask because it sounds like you have a broad spectrum of people that have been participating in this as far as skill level. Absolutely. So and most of the things they submitted, I assume, were just takes they did on their phone. No, yeah, uh, which is hysterical because, yeah, uh, I serve an incredibly broad, like I, I do a lot of professional work, but I also do amateur choral societies, which I love because that's where I was first introduced to music was in church and in choral societies. I, I love that people, people always say um, that amateur, you know, kind of this kind of say maybe like with a, with a derogatory spin, but that's not what amateur amateur means for the love, love of, of it. And it's an Thanks, amazing man. thing. People come out and some of my favorite performances in my career have been with the amateur groups because they literally give everything they've got. And it's so exciting. And some of the pro professional jobs I fly in to do maybe in Europe, I'll come in there and do it. And it's like, it's like showing up at the post office. It's not as like, you know, the people don't, it's their job, it's their, their livelihood, but it may not be as dedicated. I don't know. It's just a different feeling. I love doing guest conduct. I love showing up in a town and doing it at opera and everyone does their job, but it's, it's just as rewarding to watch people really give and to and watch them achieve. So now the virtual projects, yeah, really fantastic. Um, like this summer, I have a music staff who would submit me their files. Ronald Naldi, who was my tenor in residence at Ocean Grove, he's been at the Metropolitan Opera for 25 seasons as a soloist, he would submit, I had to teach him how to use his iPhone to record these things. I mean, it's hysterical. <laughs> this is a, one of the great voices. He covered Domingo. I mean, this guy is one of these great singers. I would teach him how to use his iPhone. And he sent me these things. And it was like, I can't believe this guy is recording on his iPhone, these amazing recordings <laughs> and putting them on my virtual choirs. But, um, and then I had just normal people who were, you know, who wanted to be a part of this. And um, a lot of people, like everyone knows the Eric Whitaker projects, there's 17,000 singers from across the world. But this was more of like a grassroots thing. So people from anywhere. So I, I said, pass this to your friends who may not have an opportunity to do this. Anyone's welcome. 
you all That's come. Amazing. And I just love that kind of that anyone can mm-hmm. sing, everyone should sing. And that we, some people couldn't, uh, they couldn't figure out the technology of the phone and having the second device. So we would set up a device in the, uh, you know, location where they can come and sing for my son who'll record them and get them on the cameras. And <laughs> Wow. So oh. with such a diverse spectrum of ability and recording and having played with recording myself and learning a whole lot during this time, did you have people that were discouraged? I mean, what's the emotional, like, oh my gosh, if they've never recorded, or did you have people that recorded and they, they got better as they did it more? Well, they all get better. I mean, that's the, I I tell all my choral societies, you just don't worry about how you sound. Do you like the way you sound on an answering machine? The answer is going to be no. Oh, I sound like that. Yikes. I always hear myself as having a low voice, but I know I don't have a low voice. I mean, I'm a tenor. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) No, I, you just say it's not the way it is, but um, we we have this. That, that's why we need that other set of ears to hear us. But um, yeah, no, it, people do get better. They they master the technology. You learn to say record with one ear on, one ear off, or some version of that, so you can hear yourself and hear the guide track, and you know how best, how far away to put the microphone so you don't blow out the, you know, the, the resolution of the microphone. There's all these things to think about, but people do get better. My college kids have done a great job. They are born with the technology. They're comfortable with it. And we're doing one of their projects right now. And it's just like stellar. Like, oh man, these kids just get it. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. I'm, I'm sure all of us will have much more appreciation for a recording studio, having tried to, and, and doing so myself now, kind of late to the game. People jumped in and did this right off the bat. Now I'm like, wow, you know, there's just so much more. And we started using, uh, we started for trial and error. We, my, my son was really good with Final Cut Pro. He's a video editor. It's what he's been doing for years. So we tried to edit the sound in Final Cut Pro and it was a disaster. It was a hot mess. It's not meant to do that. We learned that very quickly that that's not going to work. That when you get past five different voice parts, it turns into a cacophony. So then we learned how to use uh, Audacity, which is a crowdsource. We did that all summer with Audacity. Now that he's using Final Cut Pro, no, he uses, um, not Logic, but the other one. Um, I forget these kids. Um, you know, uh, what's the Pro big Tools? Pro Tools, yeah. Pro Tools? He's using oh. Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. And Pro Tools is just is so much better. We're saying, oh, that's why. So, you know, we're constantly refining what we can do and um, the, the, the directorial kind of images we can put there in addition to the boxes singing. And, you know, we're, we're taking more liberty with that. Um, I think one of my colleagues was telling me, he's like, we've all become like television directors these days. <laughs> in some Right? It's like, how do we all become television? It's amazing. You know, we've, we've all found skills we never knew we had. Um, I never knew I really liked to, to talk in front of screens this much. I really enjoyed this process. <laughs> it's been amazing. Yeah, I'm going up for tenure this year. I was supposed to be conducting in Vienna at the Coulter Radio House doing Chike 6. And here I am like, okay, a lot of my case was like, I've learned how to, you know, tell people about classical music and run interviews and and you know give people inspiration from other artists who have been through this and can speak and that was a real big part of my case wow wow yeah i bet so i would have thought i mean especially if you've got uh 1200 or more um, subscribers 1300 and more subscribers i mean i think that would be you know, you yeah. never know what people are going to find interesting. I, I think, you know, we, we hit the eight and we hit the 900 mark, right? And like, we were stuck there for a while. They, they, they Having millennials, having children who are teenagers, but here, I, they, they keep me informed of what's like, dad, you've got to be on Instagram. Like, oh, 
Oh, oh we know. 5,000 friends on Facebook. That's for old people, Dad. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, we're so there. We're right with you, Jason. I mean, my son we're... sat me down and goes, Dad, here's a video. You have to watch a video to learn how to use Instagram. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> but I did. I sat down and I, 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 I grit and I still, why can't I just post on my computer? Dad, it's not meant for computers, it's meant for phone. Oh, okay. Okay. So I learned how to use Instagram and uh, now I'm uh, on there all the time and posting of our concerts and shows like, like yours. And, and I got to, you know, and it's been interesting, you know, these platforms are all an incredible way to share what we have to say with new people. And I think there's incredible validity to that. And I think it's a great story to, um, to, to use these platforms because they, they're certainly a loaded bullet. We all know they're kind of a loaded weapon, right? And um, yeah. how can we use these to help people? Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, you, you have to keep up though. I mean, you know, especially if you, if you do want things like tenure or you want, uh, and you want something like your podcast or your book to sell or something like that. I mean, you, you, you have to move forward, um, uh, with, with technology for sure, or, you know, you die, you die on the vine for sure. And it's well, been a real great story like you do the, those, those stories you have to tell you putting out a book that's that important and you know that people need especially now what you do is so important I mean keeping people grounded and finding the why they do what they do and to, to, to love themselves and to to be able to calm the mind in the midst of all this storm I mean more than usual for mm -hmm. singers right it's hard mm -hmm. enough under normal circuit quote-unquote normal circumstances but now so yeah. so now, 2020 was a kick in the teeth for sure in so many 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 ways not just COVID, just so many many ways it was a really hard year for all of us but look at you know we've come through it and um we're we're almost there people are getting vaccinated and we're we're almost there just hang I'm on my second this thursday and my my, yep. my 18 year old girl my 16 year old boy are both getting vaccinated on thursday as well their first shots so it's yep. getting out there and i think um both of my choral societies that's been a good straw poll for me they're, they've all been vaccinated they're at that age range they're all been vaccinated maybe they're on their second vaccine but um i think we're we're crossing that divide and hopefully I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lot of inquiries to do orchestral contracting, choral contracting, and people are starting to ask the questions again. That's the first step back to getting on the stage is That's right. the funding and the venues and That's the long right. road back. Absolutely. And are you going to, this is, I'm curious, um, if you are going to go back and do something live with soloists and the chorus and all of that in the fall, let's say by the fall, are you going to inquire as to their vaccination? Hmm. Well, here's a couple. Of, uh, a bit. I've been on the. Um, I've been on the. I've been an alternate in the faculty senate this year. It's been fascinating to kind of watch this. Mm -hmm. These things unfold. Um, right now, Rutgers University is requiring. They just announced that they're requiring their undergrads and master students to come back vaccinated, but they can't at the moment require their employees to do it because the vaccine was not. Um, was not approved under normal FDA guidelines. It was approved under emergency guidelines. I believe I've got that right. So really? they can't legally, from what I understand, require that yet. Wow. They can legally require it for students, but yes, not because they're not employees. Because they're not. Yeah. Okay. That's so, very interesting. And I think they're they're in the process of getting the FDA, the official FDA approval, not the emergency provisions for these vaccines. So mm -hmm. once that's done, um, hmm. So we all, we all have to follow legal guidelines. That's always the fascinating part. So, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I've got I've got concerts this summer. So actually, these are really good questions. I've got um, I've got a, the choir festival at Ocean Grove is going to happen this summer. I've already brought in my guests, you know, artists, and I've, the contracts are out for my staff. And the singers, who knows what people are going to come, but that age group is going to be vaccinated. So the people, mm-hmm. and people would have come and sung last year. The cowboys among us would have been there, like, whatever, you know, we're singing no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> and they, sure. were, they were ready to require practice as normal last year. And I'm like, oh, hold on, wait a second, folks. <laughs> not going to happen. You know, we safety first, right? right, right we don't want right, a repeat right. of those, those, those events in, uh, that happened yeah. in Washington yeah. and yeah, Spain. Yeah, of course. Right. Well, I, I think I think the thing that I'm thinking about is like your audience, like your audience comfortability. Right. That's the and, question. And and if you could print in your program, all performers are vaccinated, you know, then then I feel like, you know, people would be more than happy to buy a ticket, more than happy to come and 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 be there in person, because, you know, we are we have been uh, called super, super spreaders. Right. So. So um, here's the strangeness. I, I you know, I, I'm, I, I, of course, got vaccinated as soon as I could, and I can't wait to be back on the stage doing what we're meant to be doing. But um, my, my kids have been in school the whole time, th- remotely, and then back in person, then remotely. My yeah. daughter's been in quarantine three times. She had to miss the, she was the starting goalie of her field hockey team. And she, she yeah. went to school one day, and then she was exposed, and she had to miss the final game of her state Aww. season. So, oh. you know, anyway, this has been a terrible year for us all back, you know, back and forth with those but they didn't cancel football. Football wasn't a super spreader event. They were outside bashing on each other. Right. And like they were, you know, and I've I, they seen had spit fly during football. <laughs> they're, yeah, yeah, you think, you know, yeah, they're, they're drowning into each other at top maximum speed, right? Yeah, um, right? I'm sure their mouths are closed when they're, you know. Going how about <laughs> defense and basketball? I was oh, watching yeah. lots of basketball games. They weren't socially distancing as they were playing defense and they weren't wearing masks either. You know, it's, it's such a strange thing to me when I see like, there's definitely an inconsistency. It's like, I don't think singing is any more dangerous than basketball. It's just that um, now the, those, those groups that, that people died and they were got very sick, they were close together and they had a two and a half hour rehearsal, very close together in a normal singing. They weren't socially distanced. They weren't masked up, you know, they were um, probably in a small room where no airflow, you know, overturn could happen. That's either. a huge, that's a huge set of things. Like my summer job is basically open air. The doors slide open. It's 50% open air. So there's a breeze coming through. So it's very fast air filtration and it's gigantic. So I can put them all over the building if we have to. We'll do whatever we have to do to make it work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you can, with a large facility as that, they're far away from the singers. The singers can't possibly spit on them there. They can try, but it's so far away. And then we all wore masks. The singer, my professional staff wore masks and they were like 20 feet of separated from each other. So there was like, we we took it very seriously. That, that's the most, the, the safety of the artists we work with and the volunteers that we work with is by far the most important thing. And then we can consider how to make art. And we did. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see those next chapters. I've often thought about the liability. I've been asked to do some festivals and be involved in some festivals. And I'm like, well, what's the liability going to be? They look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, no, I run a business. I, 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 do, a, I, I do contracting. And, you know, I, we have to be safe in every way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Liability is huge. And, you know, the last thing you want is someone coming to a festival and getting ill and then, you know, that will be yeah. terrible. And, and so these are all the, you know, the COVID's not going away. Even when we are vaccinated, we'll see how the variants play and how long the immunization lasts. There's so many like, challenges we're all going to face in this next chapter. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to take the lessons we've learned. 
And that's what humanity does, right? Uh, I, I'm, I'm a scholar. I always take the look at the long-term look at things. One of the podcasts I did, which is one of my favorites I've done so far, was I had a Holocaust survivor who was a dear friend of mine. And we talked about the return of music after the Holocaust. And you know, she, she lived through the concentration camps and she came out and has a degree in musicology and played the piano. And you know, just how does life resume after that level? You, this person didn't go to high school. I mean, her high school was in a concentration camp. So how do you go back to school and go back, pick up your life? And, and life does go on. Music did go on. And then I had a musicologist on the Shame Show. We talked about the musical return after the Black Death that ravaged through Europe in the 1300s and the outpouring of creativity that came after both of these horrific world events is staggering because we, we internalize all those negative feelings and then they come out the next chapter into flowering into great art because that's mm -hmm. how humans process grief. Absolutely. Well, I'm interested and I'm sure I'm not the only one. So tell us who it was you interviewed so our listeners can look it up. Who was my, the Holocaust survivor? Oh, my dear friend, Luna Kaufman, who is, um, she wrote a book called Luna's Life. And um, I'm honored to be in that book. Um, she, this, she's on her third revision. I'm in the last revision. We, we did my, my debut on NJ Pack. We worked together on that. We did, um, we did a call it a prayer for peace. And it was um, the work of a Christian composer, a Jewish composer, and a Muslim composer, all with the universal human theme of peace. And I did Vaughn Williams's Dona Nobis Pachin. I did Bernstein's Chichester Psalms and Adnan Sagan, Eunice Emery, a selection from Eunice Emery. So it was just fascinating to, to see how these different Abrahamic faiths dealt with the addition, you know, this ideas of peace and how you know, I just love this idea of music for social change. It's very important to me. And uh, Luna Kaufman is an incredible uh, human being. And, you know, she's, I spoke at her 90th birthday and um, she just turned 94, I want to say. And she's still as sharp as one of the most sharp minds I've ever, we just spoke today and she's like, when are you coming over for sushi? When things open up in New York, we'll hit the, you know. <laughs> wow. I just love the energy. Um, some people you just don't think of as old because they right. have incredible energy. She's one of those people, like she's like sharp and always planning and always thinking about another collaboration and another project and gets me excited. That's and the, amazing. Uh, so she was yeah. the Holocaust survivor. We've worked together on a lot of projects. Mm -hmm. And then we had a musicologist, Paul Chris Jansen. And he was the one who talked about the Black Flag. Yeah, and how music returned after that. And Say that last name again. Uh, Paul Chris Jansen. Chris Jansen. A wonderful and, musicologist and, and people can look it up and and scroll through your youtube yeah i, I called that show back from stuff. the brink i think that was our eighth <laughs> episode number eight wow you can kind of you can kind of look You've at the episodes busy. how like you know we, we we stream at a much higher resolution now we've got a much better camera we use much better editing software so every it's i look back at those episodes i kind of like wow we were just like kind of checking it out and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Delving in, but the only way to learn something is to jump in. That's how I learned how to conduct. You know, I, I, I the first, I, I'm a firm believer, and you just have to just go in and do it. You can study it forever and never really get the gist by jumping in there. And then I, and then I always record myself and I watch. I'm like, oh, and you see what you have to learn and what worked and what didn't work, and then learning begins and it never be ends. Be willing, be willing to fail in order to succeed. Fail forward, yeah, yeah. as they say. That's the magic to the, you know, I, I watched a great documentary this summer on Michael Jordan and the Bulls and like Michael Jordan, if anyone applies what he did to his career, they will be successful. It's transferable. He was incredibly determined. Even after he was the best player in the world, 
he wasn't okay with that. He wanted to win. He wanted to win the championship. So he would go back there and force his players to work harder, him work harder. You know, it's like that personal accountability and hard work. That guy was, you know, th that documentary stunned me. I'm like, wow, that's a great man. Any, anyone who applies that type of discipline to their field can do incredible things. Right, 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 right. Well, you're singing my song, Jason, for sure. Especially the jump in and just do it part. It's best way to learn. <laughs> I think I, my so first too. concert, I, you know, and then I, I look back and I watched it. Well, I had a lot of time to prepare it. I did a Mozart coronation mass. I American premiered a concert aria by Mozart and I did the symphony number 29. And, you know, I'd never done a symphony before. I'd never done a full symphony before. I'd studied conducting, but I'd never done that. And I had a singer from the Met premiere it for me. And, you know, I just, I put everything I had into it and it was, you know, and if I look at it now, I, I'm not as polished as I was then. I was new at it, but I had good energy and I knew my music and I knew what I wanted to say. And I think that um, my hands are more clear now. My, my, my delivery method is much more secure. My technique is more flawless, but I, I was, you know, I had the energy, I had the spirit and that's, you know, you, you learn and, you know, I like what uh, Denise, I like what um, Tony said before about this process. Everything's a process. We're all incomplete. I I I I learned a lot of Mahler during the during the COVID time, and I've got my Mahler eight score out there, and I got Mahler two and three, and like boy, I've learned so much. I've so much more to learn, and that's mm. that's the mm -hmm. reality. The more you learn, the more you do, the more you realize how much there is, and that's what I I love about music is I'm going to do this until the day I can't do this anymore and um, find enjoyment in every stage of this. That's what absolutely. keeps you young. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Denise asked the five um, tips you would give singers for when this is over and they're getting to audition for a conductor and they've listened to you and gotten some words of wisdom. And um, that was on my list too. And so I'm going to tweak it slightly different to say, is there a common singer tell that that you see um, you wish you could tell all singers stop doing this we see through this or some tip type of advice along that way mm. that you see in auditions or maybe in auditions okay in auditions certainly um, you know like clearing your throat or I'm not feeling well today <laughs> we all know that no one's feeling 100% but most of the time you're not going to be 100% and you know you're always gonna have to sing with with sinus problems and with allergies and your taxi was late and the dog ate your homework and that's just you know it's like you know just be yourself walk in there and believe it. you have, always have to have a hundred percent confidence of what you're doing just even if you don't feel that at the moment you have to kind of be be in that zone clear um I just watched the movie with my son, my, my 16 year old son. And we were watching For Love of the Game. It's an old Kevin Costner movie and I just love it. He's in front of 50,000 fans in Yankee Stadium about to pitch baseball and he's an old timer legend. And he turns off everything around him. Like it's like a, he, it's like a, they, they use this over and over this metaphor. He can tune out everything happening around him and he can only focus on what's going on in front of him. And I think that, that level of focus and concentration is the same. With the singers, it's like, tell the story. What is this aria about? I will forgive a little bit of technical, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll forgive a little bit of that. We'll forgive, you know, something that's not perfect. But if, if you're exciting, if you've got something to say, know the story, tell the story, be expressive. Beautiful. Good advice. Yeah, that's great. Don't make excuses. It's kind of, you know, um, mm -hmm. That's good advice. Tell the story. I love that. 
That's what I love about what I do for a living. When I get to conduct, what I do, like a symphony is a story. That's all it is, is a story. And you've got to know the backstory. You've got to know where Mozart was when he wrote this and why he wrote it. Who was the commission for? What is the, you know, the, the phrase structure analysis of the piece, the harmonic analysis? What's interesting about this piece? Because everyone's a different world. And in order for you to tell that story, you have to know the world. You've got to have opinions on the phrases before you get in front of musicians. So to do that work, and that's the fun work. That's the fun stuff. If you're preparing a role, who sang that role before? Who are the major interpreters? Um, has it changed through the revision process? You know, to know these things is really to understand and to walk in that, you know, to be it's part of your research, part of the knowledge. Who is the character? What was the, you know, what were the, the I always say that music's like an amber that traps everything around society around into it. So like when you're doing a Mozart piece, you have to know about the enlightened. You have to know about what the currents are happening because it's in that music. It's part of the amber. It's like the, the Jurassic Park image with the mosquito and they recreate the dinosaurs. Well, you can recreate the society in a way by listening to the music. You can, you can hear some of the philosophy, whether it's the Enlightenment or the, uh, the Baroque. Or, you, know, you can kind of hear what was going on. And that's, to me, the magic of music, whether it's pop music or whether it's art music. It always captures what's going on in society. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very true. Well, you've given us lots of great uh, nuggets to chew on. And, mm -hmm. Yes, thank you so much, Jason, for your time. It's been a pleasure to speak to both of you. You're both very and inspirational. Your and I can't and wait wisdom. to uh, hear more of your podcasts. Well, thank you. Thank us you. too. I'm going Yours back and too. looking at I've those two particular ones. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> for sure. Your, Tony's your, got a list. That's good. Your That's subscriber good. list is going to go up by two people today. Well, <laughs> I, I subscribe to yours. Before. So, mm -hmm. okay. Well, thank well, you. We will. I'll yeah. be on iTunes listening to. I actually think I am a subscriber, to be to be honest about it. Because I just I, did today. I think, so. Yeah. Well, I think I did a while back because I listened to a couple and was like, oh, I, I really need to listen to this. And then, I don't know, life happened and I haven't of gone course. back. In a, in a bit, but I, I plan to do some catching up because I would definitely. Don't we all have hear. like Facebook? We all have kind of like podcast cycles. Like I listen to this podcast for a while and I get I, on a roll with this one. That's that's what's good. We, we have so much great choices to listen to and that's what makes the world so rich. Yeah, but I want to watch yours, you know, so, and I listen to podcasts so much in my car. Me too. But I want to be able to watch yours and I can't, I can't do that in drives. <laughs> Thank you, not. Denise. <laughs> Stick to that role. Stick to that role. You're, you can't be very mindful if you're in the hospital. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you. Have a great rest of your I look forward evening. to being in touch. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. We are very grateful that you joined us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, write a review, share it with a friend.